Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great episode to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. That is what we are all about. We've been doing it since 2018, and we're still going strong here in 2023 with more great guests coming and conversations coming at you every week. And this week is no exception. We have a fantastic guest for you today. Liz Bruno is the Vice President and Chief Learning Officer at Baptist Health. She is also an advanced practice psychiatric nurse who has held leadership positions in learning and development in a number of health systems, as well as an educational and organizational effectiveness leader with accomplishments in the healthcare industry that span teaching, training, educational leadership, performance consulting, and nursing management. And Liz also has some great experience introducing new concepts, building new programs where she is now. And I'm excited to dig into those. So Liz, welcome to the show. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. You know, we were introduced recently and we had a conversation a little while back and it was one of those where I just wished that I had hit record when we started the conversation because it could have been a good podcast interview. And of course, we were joking before that because you were like, what did I say? But we'll figure it out, right? We'll we'll go through it again. But I have lots of great notes, lots of great things I want to get into, especially with regards to some of the things that you've been doing and building at, at Baptist and throughout your career. Before mm-hmm. we get to that, I'd love to start with a little bit of your background. You know, how did you get started in learning and development in the first place? Well, it's funny because actually that happened. I was in the Army Reserve and mm-hmm. my team, my unit was attached to the MEDAC at West Point. And so I was doing a little bit of training of some medics and this wonderful officer. He was actually a a general officer and he was over the whole medac and some other things. He said to me, you know, Captain, you're a good, good therapist, I think, but I think you're an even better teacher. And I, of Mm. course, rolled my eyes and realized, (laughs) oh, that's not a good thing. I'm so outranked. But he was a lovely man. And while I had always taught part-time in addition to whatever else I was doing, I never really thought about learning and development for a full-time kind of thing. So over the next few years, I did some more of that. Life changed, some circumstances changed, and voila, I ended up in learning and development and learning and development administration. So it's nurse, teacher, administrator, and and I'm very excited to be able to do what I do now. Yeah. For I was going to say, did you, you spent time in nursing as well, right? Oh. While you're doing that, were you working primarily technically as a nurse or were you also doing training and other things? Both, both. Okay. I, you know, by background, I'm a psychiatric nurse. I did my graduate work at the University of Pennsylvania. I did a lot of different uh, roles in that whole field of psych, including working in the forensic arena. And so I I was just, you know, it's one of those things, timing. You know, I've been very blessed. I've had many, many opportunities and I've taken as many as I could because I felt that that was just going to 
enrich me. And I, some of them were better than others, Mm. but I think I've learned so much from all of them. So yes, I was a nurse for many years. I still am. I'm actually, you can see me, no one else can see me, but I am in scrubs today because it's Wednesday and this is a, a rounding day. So I have a lot of my team members who are clinical. And so on certain days we round to talk to our stakeholders and our customers. Mm. So does that mean you speak with patients still in the, in the, we we speak with patients, but mostly we speak with the staff. Okay. Mm -hmm. Get an idea of what they're dealing with and what they have going on, which I'd imagine you grounded in the work you're doing. Oh, it is very easy to fall into an ivory tower mentality. And that's the one thing you really don't want to do in the world of workplace learning, as you know, very, very well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I've worked with many global companies where you get out into some of the branches and they talk about the ivory tower and they don't really know what we're dealing with out here. So it's great to hear about executives, you know, spending time out there with the people still doing some of the work. Uh, I'm curious. I always love asking this question when I have guests or I meet people who spent time in the military and the armed forces and then are working mm-hmm. in the corporate world. What are some things that maybe you took away or have taken away or still use from your military experience, your army experience that have been useful in corporate life or healthcare life? Well, I honestly believe that the best leadership training in the whole wide world doesn't take place in universities. Love them. They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. But frankly, I think it takes place in the military. I don't think you can touch the leadership training and then obviously the leadership experience of being in the military. So that's my own personal little prejudice. So Mm. I learned so much from different people with whom I worked in my time. Curious question about that. When I think about the military, I think of more traditional command and control and hierarchy, right? And when I think of the corporate world and what's needed in leadership today, I think of things like empathy and curiosity and communication and inclusion. Do you see a difference there? Has, has Do you feel like the military has adapted? I know you can't speak for the entire, you know, the all no. of armed forces, right? But just with your own experience, do you feel like it's changed and that it's maybe closer than, than I give it credit for? I think, you know, leadership is such a wide concept. Mm. And while certainly in the military, there is there is a structure and there's rank and all of the things that go with that. But the military is not just command and control by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. And I, you know, it's funny, someone asked me that not terribly long ago. And I use the analogy of, you know, some situational leadership things when there is, and so I'm talking to a, uh, a, couple of very clinical people. And I said, so when there's a code on a unit, so someone is having a heart attack, we don't go, would you be kind enough to give me some epinephrine? You know, it's boom, 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 boom. You know, there's a a protocol, it's done. Mm. Everyone knows their role. Everyone does their role. You know, and the same thing in the military, you'd be surprised at the incredible insights Hmm. that really good NCOs and officers have. Yeah. You know, the day of just do it because I told you, well, there is obviously that exists for sure. Everywhere. Yeah. 
everywhere. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's really important that people understand that there's a lot more than that in military leadership training. Mm. Hey, you remind me, I speak a lot in organizations and I talk about mindset and developing, operating with a growth mindset. I'm yeah. big on progress over perfection and helping people get over perfectionism. But I always like to mention, there are some exceptions. I want my surgeon to be a perfectionist because that is just, I don't want the like, well, I'm 80% there. So let's just try it and move on to the next thing. There are some places where you do want that like command and control perfectionism. It has to be absolutely right. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And that's what I want from my surgeons too. Yeah, right. When you got to Baptist, you instituted, you talked about uh, diagnosing the, the performance culture there and moving really from being kind of an order taker to taking more of a consultative approach to learning and development. I wonder if you could talk more about what you did when you got in there and what your approach has been. Happy to, happy to. You know, and this is very and was very common and frankly still is in many places. Mm. So when something goes wrong in healthcare, I mean, I've always said this and I'll probably be pilloried for this, but hey, whatever. The first thing we do, there are a lot of people who will say, well, we need to train everybody with an elbow and a gallbladder. Mm. Let's train them on this. And somehow that will take care of the problem when in fact, many, 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 frankly, most of the time, it's not a lack of knowledge or skill. It's very frequently a process issue or a communication issue. Mm. So we want to train everybody or we want to have a new place for clinical people to document or let's build yet another policy. So, you know, I came to Baptist and we suffered from some of that same malady. Mm. And so it really took some time to build an awareness uh, corporately of human performance improvement mm. to help people begin to see that you have to diagnose what the issue is. So I was able to use, some people will say assess, I'm going to say assess and then diagnose what is the problem behind? What's the root cause? And then you deal with it from there, as opposed to throwing spaghetti at the wall. It was truly like so, so many other healthcare organizations at mm -hmm. the time. You know, the learning and development people or the training people mm -hmm. were order takers. You know, the only thing we weren't doing was saying, do you want fries with that? So, oh, so it wasn't just working with the organization. It was also working with and looking at the people who were doing the work of learning and development. And some of those people were able to be uh, brought around to that new way of thinking. Others were not. They weren't comfortable with it. And then we were able to bring together a team and over the course of the next, you know, six years really build a remarkable team that is truly a human performance improvement kind of shop. Mm. So that's how that started. But, you know, and, and again, with the best of intentions, and it's very common, particularly it was back then, you know, training was a whole bunch of people sat in a room and there were 900,000 PowerPoint slides. And, you know, I've lived through that. We've all lived through that where you're basically after, you know, 20 minutes, you're writing, do I, am I supposed to get bread on the way home? You know, you're, you're just gone. You're right. somewhere else. Yeah. And so helping people move, 
you can't just say, well, that's not how we're going to do it anymore. You know, yeah. you have to have a plan. And so faculty development has been very important to me, mm. very important to my team and very important to our organization. Yeah. Can you give an example of something you observed when you came in and changed to really diagnose a problem where it might've just been order taking before? And you said, okay, let's get to the root of this. Oh God. Yes. There are so many, you know, there, there might be a problem with an error. You know, there was an error and maybe a, I can remember a couple where there was a, the order wasn't clear. And instead of getting order clarified, it just kind of was this, well, this is what I think it means. And so the error took place. It was not a huge error, but to me, it was a huge error. Mm -hmm. And because when I got the call, we need to train everyone on X, Y, and Z. And I started asking questions. This very, very lovely woman, sweet as can be, she said, well, why are you asking questions? You just need to make sure we have training on this. Right. And so, uh, you know, I was like, oh, God, help us. So as as I continued to ask those questions, I was saying, well, don't you think there's a possibility of, you know, and we turned out it was a process issue and it was a kind of doing it the way we've always done it way of thinking. So there was a cultural issue. There was a process issue. It really wasn't a learning and development thing, but that was the beginning of let's start talking about human performance improvement. So I will tell you that took me rather a while to work with leaders across the system because it isn't just clinical things. Mm -hmm. It's also it exists across the board. It exists in finance. It exists in strategic sourcing or, or you know, revenue cycle, whatever. It's recognizing that you have to diagnose what is the problem before you do automatic pilot of let's train everybody. Mm. And you obviously came in with this mindset that we're going to change things and we need to diagnose issues and figure out what is the behavioral outcome we're looking for. And right. it may not just be about training, but you know, a lot of other people obviously are ingrained in this mindset for a long time. You said you've sort mm -hmm. of built this team with this mindset over the last six years, this human performance improvement team. What have you done or how have you built that to make sure everybody on the team is operating with the same mindset and they're not just out there taking orders? Well, it's a mortal sin to just take orders. So that's, you know, they all know that. <laughs> okay. But I will tell you, because I talk about this when people are being interviewed, not so much now because I don't do all of the interviews anymore, mm. but we've incorporated it into the fabric of our culture. But I will step back a little bit. It took a lot of relationship building. And I will tell you as a learning and development professional, one of the most important things I tell this to everybody is you've got to find out who the influencers are, the formal influencers, the not so, you know, the informal influencers, and you've got to build relationships because mm -hmm. I was trying to change the way people were thinking about things. And there were some wonderful, wonderful people. The woman who at that time was the vice president of nursing was is a brilliant woman and, and really wanted to move things in a direction of improvement. 
And so there, it wasn't like I was going from total ground zero. It was just the way things were at a, at the, the director level, the manager level. So there was a lot of work that had been done and a lot of questions. Why can't you just do it the way we always did it? Mm. Why do you have to ask us these questions? You know, one of the things that we built was a, an ESR, an education services request. And the education services request is if someone wants training, whether that's a team or an individual, they fill this out for us. Now that sounds Mm. like, but it isn't, it isn't because what it does is it helps us diagnose what's going on. Mm. And the first question is what is the performance gap about which you are concerned? Probably forces them to pause and really think about what they're asking for as well, right? Andy, that's exactly it. That is exactly it. It forces them to think through. So when did it start? How pervasive is it? What are what are those symptoms, for want of a better term? That's probably not what's on the form, but it's where my brain went, that tell you there's a problem. Is it on every shift? Is it, you know, what have you done heretofore to address it? And then someone from the team, they bring that, that just electronically comes to us. Somebody gets back to them very, very quickly to get more information. And that's how we help decide and work with that requester to see, is this something that is a knowledge or skill gap? Mm. If it is, then we work with them to figure out Who's the audience? What's the gap? What do we need to do? Who do we need to bring in? Can we do this ourselves? Et cetera, et cetera. But if it isn't, we kind of walk them down the primrose path of how they can drill down more to be able to address that concern. Mm. And, And in my experience, I would imagine that this also helps address some of the issues that come up where you have one person that is uh, potentially a challenge, right? For a group. And, and somehow the answer is everybody needs training, right? The old classic, like one person keeps coming late. So we need to train everybody on the importance of coming on time. Right. Do you diagnose those? Oh, oh my gosh. That is, that's like as common as the common cold. Mm. Yes. I, as a leader, don't want to deal with you because you have a strong personality. So let's, have something for everybody again elbow in a gallbladder and just pray you know who is it there's a a wonderful nurse who wrote a book on competencies and i'm just blanking anyway she talks about spray and pray yeah i spray this information out to everyone and i pray that the person for whom it's aimed gets it meanwhile they don't get it and all the people who are already complying or doing something right are just like, why are we doing this? Right. So, yeah, it's, that it's is a annoying. very common, very common phenomenon. It's just annoying for everybody else, right? Well, yeah. just a follow-up question on that, because sure. in that situation, the real issue is that the manager needs to have a performance conversation with that individual, right? So how do you influence that to happen instead of, you know, we don't need to do training. You need to have a conversation with your direct mm-hmm. report. Well, part of that is that whole follow up the phone call after mm. they we get an ESR because we drill down and we say, well, where what else is going on? And we're, you know, it's also important to partner when you start getting that, mm, you know, little thing in your head that says this may be a spray and pray kind of thing. Mm. Ask if they've talked to HR. 
Have you talked to HR? Where do you see this as a problem? How many people for whom is this a problem? And once you get them talking, frankly, and you establish that rapport, pretty soon they'll come clean and just say, oh, it's just that I have these two people and they, they've they been here a really long time. And I can tell you, I've seen this my whole career. My whole, this is like everywhere. Hmm. And I, and I have colleagues across, you know, multiple industries and disciplines, and they all say the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, then they just need to be encouraged and maybe they need some development on how to have a crucial conversation. And maybe they need some support in making that happen and some rehearsal in how to do that. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe you need to fill out an ESR for yourself so you can get yeah. some training. I need some help here. Yeah. Um, since you've come in there, as you, you started diagnosing things, you realized obviously there's a lot of requests or things that come in that don't necessarily require training. But from Mm -hmm. what I remember, you have built some programs there that have been fairly successful and needed. I wonder if you could talk about some of the programs you've created or, and, or your kind of philosophy on talent development, what sort of programs do you need to be providing to develop people? Well, you know, it's it's interesting in healthcare, you know, the knowledge, hell, ev- everywhere, hmm. knowledge is exploding, technology is exploding. And so the traditional methods by which people prepare for a career in healthcare, many of those things haven't changed that much in low those many moons, right? So a, a fairly dramatic example, not unusual, but um, starting in 2015, we built a program called a nurse residency program. Mm. And it's a year-long program for people who are coming out of nursing school. When my mom went to nursing school, which was before World War II, don't roll your eyes and try to do the math. I don't want to have to hurt you. (laughs) But she went to a three-year school. I went to a four-year school. My mom, many years later, went and got her master's, et cetera. But We're still trying, uh, now you can sit for the nursing boards with a two-year degree. Mm. And yet the the incredible expansion of knowledge and requirements for skill and critical thinking and clinical judgment, all of those things have exploded. And so we built a year-long program that's a transition program for people coming out of nursing school. And we do it in all the specialties. And it's been extremely successful. And when I tell you it's been iterated about a million times since we did it, I started it in 2015. I'm probably not exaggerating that much, but it's been a very, very successful program because no one can be prepared to do that kind of work fresh out of school. And I see the same thing across multiple disciplines. So that, you know, that program was one. We've built many, many others. You know, today, people don't want to stay in the same job forever. And we recognize that. And so we've been working very hard, not just in the clinical arena, but in the non-clinical areas as well, to provide skilling and upskilling options for people. You know, just staying with with clinical for a a moment, Mm -hmm. we have what we call intensives and they prepare someone to move from 
perhaps pediatrics to adult or adult to peds to move into a specialty like the emergency department or to move into neonatal intensive care so that we recognize that people, particularly the the folks coming out of school right now, they don't want to move into one job and stay there until they retire. And even though some people bemoan the good old days, it's not reality. It Mm -hmm. simply isn't reality. And so we have to be prepared as an organization to provide those opportunities for people to gain the knowledge, skills, and abilities they need to grow because that's what people want. And frankly, that's what we need them to have because everything is exploding, everything is changing, and it's our job to help them get the tools they need to be successful. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I love what you're doing there. I want to talk more about it. And I appreciate you validating what I've been saying to a lot of people, which is based on the research and many conversations I've had that the number one thing people want when they go into a new job or career is to know, how can I grow in my career? What am I going to grow? Not necessarily, you know, what's the career ladder look like? For many people, they do want promotions, but what am I going to learn? How am I going to add to my resume? How am I going to grow? How am I going to come out of this better? Because I may not be here. Healthcare, I'm guessing, tends to have maybe longer tenures or loyalty than maybe some other industries, but you know, I may not be here forever. What am I going to gain from this experience while I'm also contributing to this organization? You're right on the money. And frankly, we have the same issues everyone else has. Hmm. During COVID, you may have, you've probably heard of, it's not just a nursing shortage. It's lab, it's hmm. rehab, it's radiology techs, it's surgical techs. People have options. And so you're 100% on the money, that whole issue of how do I grow? And what are you going to teach me? How can I get more? How can I get better? Mm -hmm. So it used to be that people, we wanted them to stay in their job forever. And Mm -hmm. managers were very, and, and, you know, I talked to people, colleagues of mine across the country, and, you know, we talk about the managers who get upset when someone wants to move out and try something different. Yeah, You can't do that anymore. That doesn't work. There is retention is a huge issue. And if you don't help people grow, just kiss it goodbye. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in healthcare, there's massive turnover as well. People have options. People can do telehealth. They can do travel clinical work. And again, it's not just nursing. It's all those other things I talked about. The options are out there and people want to take advantage of them and you can't blame them. You know, this is their life. This is their career. Interestingly enough, however, I will say you also have people who will say to you, I want to grow, but they want you to grow them. Like they want you to plant the seed, water it, fertilize it, and they want you to do it for them. Yeah. And so one of the challenges that you end up having is helping people see that we can provide tools and opportunities and tuition reimbursement, et cetera, shadowing, whatever, Mm -hmm. but you got to want it and you got to own it. And, and that is, you know, so there's, there's a percentage of people and it's not an insignificant number who need that epiphany Mm -hmm. of realizing that they've got to own it. Yep. 
Yeah, that's why I think you and I talked about this last time. You know, I think about successful career development in three pillars. The first is the organization providing the tools, the pathways, the methods, the shadowing programs, mentoring, things you talked about. Mm-hmm. The second is you need managers to provide that coaching and guidance, right? And and hopefully empower them to move into different roles, which is a whole different challenge we can talk about. But then the third piece is you want man- or employees to take ownership of their careers, to take advantage of those tools and resources, because you can create all the learning programs and mentorship programs in the world, but if nobody signs up or uses them, it won't matter. That's 100% on the money. And it's interesting. I talk to people in other industries as well. You know, I'll talk about that third one, the individual in a moment, but Mm. there are swaths, huge swaths. It's hard to say swaths. 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 Anyway, sorry. But there are tons of managers who just want you to do it for them Mm -hmm. and and helping them see that they own part of that. They need to partner around the development of their team. You know, the recognition and the, the encouragement and the reinforcement, all of those pieces that help a, an individual contributor be ready for highly engaged in their own development. They're so powerful. We can be charming and wonderful and engaging and, and entertaining and all kinds of things over here in the L&D world. But if their manager, you know, if it's flat or non-existent, it's like you're herding cats or pushing water uphill Mm. because while you'll always have those go-getters who are all about, and and I'm seeing more and more of them now, which is really encouraging, while you'll always have those go-getters who want to take charge of their world and their career, you also have people who by virtue of their background the messages they received maybe growing up, they need that encouragement. Mm. You know, I'm not a psych person for nothing. And so, you know, we do have people who are bright and shiny and talented, but they don't necessarily believe in themselves. They Mm -hmm. doubt themselves. And you can see all kinds of, of future and options and things for them but they need encouragement and reinforcement. And that's part of what we as leaders need to do for our teams. And I think we also, I I just read this book, Workquake by Steve Cadigan, Hmm. the LinkedIn guy. And I actually heard him speak. And he talked about how he's one of my, he's one of my latest books I'm liking. But He talked about how one of the things we need to do is recognize that people are staying with organizations, you know, they're getting out sooner. They're staying less. Mm -hmm. They're out of dodge. And so how do we recognize that, not go into catastrophizing mode around it and reimagine what do we do? to help them grow while they're here, recognizing they're going to leave Mm -hmm. and making it comfortable perhaps for them to come back. Mm. So one of the things that, you know, we're trying to do here is we're in the process right now, my team and I looking at, hmm, 
if that's going to be the way things are, what do we need to reimagine? What Mm. do we need to reconfigure in order to make the learning engaging and positive and absorbable, right? Mm -hmm. But recognize that people aren't going to stay long. There's always going to be a cadre of people who don't, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you work with them? And also, how do you design for the folks that do want to stay, but want to move around in-house? So it means that we need to build our armamentarium of tools and courses and strategies Mm -hmm. in order to be able to serve those different customers. Yeah, Uh, I I love that. You really need to rethink how all of this works because things have changed from the way they were before and continue to change all the time. You're creating more opportunities for talent mobility, for people to try different things, realizing that, hey, they may still leave the organization to go try other stuff and then come back. I'm sure you see lots of people doing that. I think you did that as well, right? Mm -hmm. And But I want to go back to even the hiring part because you touched on this briefly earlier. You talked about degrees and I believe you you gave a talk to CLOs recently, right? About taking out degree requirements out of job listings. Is that right? Can you mm-hmm. talk more about that? Sure. You know, people have a mindset of they've got to have this degree or that degree, or they have to have a degree. Now, if you're going to be a nurse, you have to pass boards. You have to have a degree. Hmm. But sitting with these CLOs, And I will admit to you that adult beverages were indeed being consumed at the time, but we were talking about it. And I will just, I, I had to laugh because one of my friends and colleagues was saying, we're saying that someone needs to have a bachelor's degree for this particular job. And she said, they don't even need to have a high school education for this. Hmm. And she said, so we have people who have, we have one who had a degree in music therapy, who was working in this one part of the finance, sort of peripheral to finance. They didn't have to have a finance degree. They had to have a bachelor's degree. Right. And this star performer has a degree in, this is what she told us, music therapy. So we started this whole discussion and and many places, including us, you know, we're in that process now of looking at what are the obstacles and barriers to bringing talent inside and what, which of those things serve us and which of them don't. And perhaps in those cases, one of those obstacles and barriers is you must have a bachelor's degree or a blah, blah. In what, and then you look at it and you go, what does this really mean? So I know that even the federal government, uh, you know, five or six years ago started looking at that same thing and saying, you know, you want an engineer to have a degree in engineering and you yes. certainly want a surgeon to have gone through medical school. Right. But where does this serve us? And if you look in the world of IT, you know, does someone in IT need a master's degree in something? Mm. Probably not. Do they need the very secret magic certifications? Uh, now, I say that because I am so not a techno babe. Right. Okay, just saying. Yeah. But, you know, there are these incredible certifications and experiences mm-hmm. and skills that these individuals have. 
that's what they're after. Yeah. That's what you need to put in a job description, not and ha- needs to have a master's degree from right. the Acme University of cigar smoking. I mean, right. Not to mention people in the IT world are, are basically self-taught, right? Because you can go Absolutely. on and watch videos and hack around and try all kinds of stuff. You want the skills more mm. than you need this degree. And you see the cost of college has gone up quite a bit, right? Even relative to inflation, the rate of people, especially men, I think going to university is, is going down. There's a lot of other options, a lot of other things people could be doing. And you know that degree is maybe not as required as it as it should have been or needs to be for for some of these roles. So I completely, I see that. I agree with that. I'm glad that we're, you know, more organizations are waking up to that and at least rethinking. Okay, what is really required here? How can we utilize and find people with the best skills, regardless of what degree they have? Right, Liz. There's so many more questions I want to ask you about the programs you built and the, you know, especially with regards to talent mobility. We do need to wrap things up. I guess I'll ask you one more question there because you did touch on this a little bit already. You mentioned the shadowing program. You mentioned opportunities to move. You mentioned trying to help managers understand that you can't like hold on to the people you have. Mm-hmm. I think that this is one of the hottest issues in career development, if not talent development, that so many larger organizations are trying to solve this idea of talent mobility and how do you allow and create more of an opportunity for people to move around. So how are you thinking about that now and, and creating more of those opportunities, which, which you know, in theory, helps people stay with an organization longer, right? Absolutely, it does. And that's one of our goals. So as I mentioned, we have the, the intensives, mm-hmm. and that's a very attractive thing for our team because it allows them to either maybe get a job in that area, but then have that intensive training or do that training and say, hmm, does this feel right for me? But also we allow people to shadow. We have different programs within the organization where folks can go and spend a day here, a day there, talk to folks. It makes a difference. So I have to tell you this. If you ever watch any medical drama, you know, that sends people like me over the edge because yeah. they're so unrealistic, right? Yeah. You know, let's do a heart transplant. And, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes, whatever. <laughs> but someone says, I think the OR looks exciting, right? Yeah. Oh, I want to go to the OR. And then, so you give them an opportunity to go to the OR. For some people, that is like nirvana. They love that OR stuff. Other people who think they want to do it go in, they get dressed out in greens, they observe surgery and they go, oh, dear God in heaven, no. Nope. Yeah. This was not what I was thinking. That's what you want to do before they go into an OR course. Okay. Mm. And so giving them that walk a day in the shoes of someone who's in this area or that area gives them that more realistic view. And that makes a big difference. So we've seen a lot of that. And, you know, I'm all about the cross-pollination as well. Someone who's working in the arena of uh, the health record, the electronic health record, you know, needs to spend some time looking in the clinical world that they're supporting. And those people need to understand what goes into building that And it's so interesting when you start getting people collaborating and communicating 
And it makes such a difference. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about relationships. So maybe they go to the OR and they're like, oh, dear God in heaven, no. But they've met some people and they have formed the beginning of a relationship. And you never know when that's going to make a big difference. And so that connecting people part is another thing that we're trying to do more of with more intention because it knits the fabric of the enterprise together even more. Mm, completely agree. And I, I love that you're doing that because it gives people a chance to test things out and see, is this something, you know, yeah. that kind of apprentice before you even apprenticing to see, is this something I really want to, to pursue and then sure. go invest time and the organization invest time and all that sort of stuff. Well, Liz, this has been fantastic. You have done some amazing things there at Baptist. I know it's been you know a long journey and a work in progress. I appreciate you sharing it. There's a lot of insights here for other people to learn from. If anybody wants to reach out to you to talk, talk more about this stuff, where's the best place for them to go? Is it LinkedIn or anything else? Yeah, go to LinkedIn. In LinkedIn, I'm Elizabeth Bruno post to Liz. I'm not sure what was wrong with me that day, but mm, it is Elizabeth. You know, Bruno it is editable. And, it is changeable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not stuck in stone. All right. So reach out to Liz on LinkedIn. If you have questions, go connect with her. Make sure you connect with me on LinkedIn if we're not already connected. And Liz, I look forward to talking with you more soon. We're gonna ask, I'm going to ask you a few more questions for our bonus Q&A, but for everyone else listening now, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. And we'll talk with you more later. Okay. Thank you again. It was delightful. All right, that will do it for my interview with Liz Bruno, who is the VP and Chief Learning Officer at Baptist Health out of Jacksonville, Florida. And I really enjoyed that conversation. In fact, I enjoy every conversation I have with Liz. We've had a couple now, and she just seems to really bring a lot of thoughtfulness and insights into the work she does, not only there at Baptist, but in talent development in general. And she shared a lot of things that I think are practical takeaways that everybody in talent development can be thinking about, especially when starting a new role, but even uh, being thought more thoughtful about the requests that we get for training, you know, taking more of a consultative approach, diagnosing performance problems, and really deciding what the necessary course of action is and what the implications of that might be. So assessing and diagnosing for root cause and then dealing with it from there, definitely a big takeaway. She's built a remarkable human performance improvement team and shop. Uh, so thinking about getting your team on board with your philosophy on how to approach these things is really important. She talked about the importance of building internal relationships with influencers. She talked about building ESR, which stands for Education Services Request, which forces a requester to pause and really diagnose the issues. She talked about the nurse residency program they're doing, talked about people having options and wanting to know how they can grow in their careers and how they at Baptist are really thinking about providing different options for people to learn about and try out different careers so that they have more mobility, more flexibility, more options for people to do different things. She talked about reimagining development to accommodate people who might leave and then come back, which is really interesting and kind of forward thinking. And she talked about questioning whether degrees should really be required for certain roles and addressing this whole idea of talent and mobility that so many people are trying to figure out. I had a conversation with a client and friend very recently who was doing some amazing things in the world of talent mobility. I'm going to work to get her on the podcast. She's actually been on the podcast in the past, so get her back on the podcast. But I love sharing some of the things that Liz was doing. Stay tuned because I will have Liz back in our next episode for our bonus Q&A round where she shares 
the things that she's proud of in her career, one of her biggest failures, some of the challenges and trends she's following in talent development. Some great book recommendations as well as some great career advice as well. And I have already got Liz booked in to be a guest speaker in the Talent Development Think Tank community because she brings so many great insights, so much wisdom, and I want people to be able to interact with her and ask questions and really like dig into some of the work she's been doing. So if you're not a member and you want to dig into some of that stuff, as well as meet our other members, talk to other thought leaders and experts that we're bringing in, the Talent Development Think Tank, it really is the place to be in talent development. There's nowhere better. I know there's some other big associations out there, and and we have a lot of our members who are involved in those as well, but nothing beats the ability to really build meaningful relationships and truly connect with others in talent development in an interactive and meaningful way, and that is what we're all about at the Talent Development Think Tank. You can now find out all the information about our podcast, our blog, and our membership community, as well as future events on our website, which is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And if and when you decide to join our community, then you can put in a discount code hot seat or podcast. Either one will get you 10% off for being a podcast listener. All right. So put in the code podcast to get 10% off. And whether you do that or not, you are going to get a ton of value as long as you come join, lean in, and share what you've been doing as well. You're going to give value. You're going to get a lot of value. That's what we're all about. And if you have questions, ideas, feedback, you can reach out to me as well. So thank you again for listening. I will see you next time for our bonus Q&A with Liz Bruno. Take care.